Welcome to another episode of Making Magic with your host, Bradley Morris from Magic Media. This is the go-to show for purpose-driven creators to get inspired with innovative new ideas to produce your educational content, build thriving online communities, and turn your message into a movement. Welcome, everybody, to another special episode. Now, this special episode is actually a doubleheader. Some of you might be listening to this on the Magic Parents podcast, which is a branch of Magic Kids, and others of you who are in the education space, online education, you're a teacher, you're an influencer, or a parent, you might be listening to this on the Making Magic podcast. So we have a double podcast happening here today with my very special guest, Phil Moore. Now, Phil Moore is the author of the book, The Future of Children. He is also the co-founder of the Upland Hills School and Ecological Awareness Center. Phil has devoted more than 50 years of his life, probably his entire life, to loving children into being. Now, he He's going to get into a little bit of his backstory of what he was able to do at Upland Hills School, which has become an amazing example of what happens when you bring children into an educational experience that is based on love. So that's going to be one of the topics that we talk about. And we're also going to talk about what the future of children, what the future of education could look like if we take our sides selves outside of the molds that currently exist. What is better than what is happening right now? Because what is happening right now is clearly not working for children everywhere. So, Phil, I'm very excited for this conversation. Thank you so much for taking some time and space today. And welcome to the Making Magic podcast and the Magic Parents podcast. Yeah, I love it. Two for one. Two for one. There is a teacher in my life whose name is Buckminster Fuller. And he uh, had this thing about doing more with less. And when you do that, that's called ephemeralization, you really begin to see how uh, the world would work so much better if we all started thinking in those ways. How do we do more with less? You're getting two podcasts. We're deepening our bond as in our friendship and a lot of mutual loves that we both share. So um, it's a it's a privilege and an honor to be here with you. Thank you so much. And yeah, we do share a lot of common interests. I mean, the work we're doing at Magic Kids is very aligned with loving children into being. But before we even uh, dive into the rest of the conversation, I think it would be great as a a leaping off point, uh, because your work is around love-based education, love-based initiatives, loving children into being. Can you just define for people that are unfamiliar with your work at the Future of Children, to understand that as just a a base for the way the rest of the conversation unfolds? Well, it took a a while for me. You know, we began our school in 1971 and 72. And so parents and uh, and reporters and grandparents, (laughs) neighbors always asked about, you know, what kind of school this is. Um, And I would say, it was somewhere in the second decade in the 80s that I understood that what we were offering wasn't just an alternative to what exists. So it wasn't just an alternative school. It wasn't about being free because there was lots of ways of looking at the free school movement and realizing that it just didn't have the safety of a container around it, you know, and, and, and the responsibilities adults have to take as parents and as educators. So it didn't fit in lots of places. And then it just dawned on me one day, 
you know, the traditional dominant paradigm of education is fear-based. You're going to be ranked, you're going to compete, you're going to be judged, and you're going to be asked to pretty much sit still and have all of this information and all the right answers are going to be standing in front of you and all of the somewhat wrong answers are going to be inside your head. And this industrialized way of educating our children was really based on fear. And then I thought, and I think that you as a parent have acted on this one, that when we have this beautiful little being dropped into our world and we want to love them into being, you know, what if the school was a place when you walked in, first of all, it was a place that the child wanted to be at and that every day was excited about going to school. Love-based schools are that way. <laughs> what if when they came to school, their, um, their spirit was being seen and they were being greeted as a genius because there's multiple lines of intelligence and our job was to discover that genius and to nourish it and to nurture it the way you've done with your son, Soren. So you can see that all I had to say uh, for a conversation starter is, well, it's a love-based school. If somebody's turned off by that right away, conversation's over. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Why go on? Yeah. <laughs> somebody's asking the question, well, what exactly does that mean? You get to talk about what it is to be in a place that really sees its, its job is protecting, nourishing, nurturing, and defending the sacred territory of childhood. Yeah. And, and it's a simple answer, and it's really uh, a beautiful vision that we got to test over five decades, you know, so we're, we're completing, we completed the fifth decade. So the school is in its sixth decade. I left in 2014 as the director. So I've been about, I'm close to my first decade of my rewirement, but um, I hope that that answer kind of gave you a sense of what it means to be a love-based school. That's a, a beautiful definition. And one of the pieces that you said I really resonate with um, when it comes to my parenting style is treating each child uh, from their place of genius and, and treating them with the assumption that these kids are geniuses. I had my first experience of that when Soren, my son, he's six now, he was 10 or 11 months old. So he was like, he was starting to say words. He was very early in his communication skills. But I had an experience, we're standing in our living room, and he's just kind of toddling around. And I asked him to go into our bedroom and grab his stuffed animal and take it into the kitchen and give it to mommy. Just to test, like I was just experimenting, like how much does my kid understand? And he just like waddles away from me, goes into the bedroom, comes back with the stuffed animal, goes straight past me into the kitchen and gives it to Celeste, my wife. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like even though he's not speaking all the time, he understands so much more of everything that we're saying than we give him credit for. And from that day on, I was just like, my kid's a genius. I'm treating him like a genius. There's no more baby talk. Like we're just going to have straight up real conversations from now on. And his, the rate of which he was able to communicate and the, his grasp on language 
was just profound how rapidly he learned and is still learning how fast he learned to read on his own, uh, how fast he's learned to write on his own. And it, uh, everything that we do and how we parent him, whether it's like creating boundaries because he's doing something unsafe, instead of just saying no, we say no with the explanation so we can understand the reasoning behind the no. And uh, it's been really beautiful to practice that. And I wish for more children that their parents would just treat them like, like the geniuses that they are rather than the incapable young people who have something to learn from the parents, where it's, it's really the other way around. Yeah, actually, the first chapter of my book is called Children as Teachers. So you can see you were curious enough and in touch with your sacred child, with your inner child, to be able to say, well, I wonder what's going on in there. And so you did this little experiment. You gave him an assignment and you wanted to see what he understood. And then he blew you away. Yeah. There's the there's the aha moment. And now as you go through life together, you know, your child will teach you and take you into places that no one else would. If you continue to have um, an agenda for your child, then you'll be frustrated, you know. Mm -hmm. And and if you have very specific expectations, then you will find yourself in the world of suffering. However, if you evolve with a child and if you deal with certain things like all of a sudden your, your child has a temper tantrum and then you think, oh, how am I going to fix this? And then you stop and say, well, wait a second, where has it been modeled? And you realize, oh, I do this sometimes. Yeah. I need to work on this part. Or I say, this is how you're supposed to act. And then I act in a very different way. And you're right to believe that he's recording everything. <laughs> he's yeah. as sensitive as can be. And he is a genius and his, his genius is unique. Yeah. His specific soul print is unique and universal. So it's both, always both unique and universal. So yeah, you could relate to it because you intuited it. And because your child is very alive and awake in you as an adult. Yeah, that is very true. So in your, you know, 50 years of running your school uh, in this way, from this philosophy and mindset, what did you witness in the children that went through your school versus um, what you see in kids that go through, say, mainstream public education systems? Well, one of the things that seemed to be, well, there's several universal things that happened with the, you know, if you talk about a whole group of people, yeah. we're talking about, you know, more than a thousand, you know, probably less than 2000. So, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about a whole group of people, but in the question, there are a couple of things that are really, I think, part of the uniqueness to being loved into being. Number one, they question things. And they know about alternatives. They always think of other ways, you know, so they come up with plan B and plan C and plan D. And sometimes I think they go through the whole alphabet. So they get in a situation that's difficult for them. And maybe they've made a commitment to do something, you know, in the Peace Corps or whatever it might be. And now they're young adults. But then they always look and see, oh, I'm not confined. 
Mm. I have free choice. That's universal, I think, almost with with, uh, you know, a large percentage of the kids that go to our school is they really think in an alternate way. Yeah. And they always step outside. They can easily step outside the dominant paradigm. And that perspective gives them a leg up in terms of survival and being nimble. You know, another thing I would say is that they are in love with the natural world. All we had to do, you know, if I was on Salt Spring Island in your house, in your backyard and on that island, you know, all, all I would say about that part of the world and any part of the world really is if the natural world is your primary teacher, if you get up to have time under the sky, you know, as opposed to in your seat, educators yeah. have a metric and it's how many seat hours a child needs to learn uh, calculus. Oh my God, that's such a strange formula. It's not being driven by passion. It's how long do you have to sit? Doesn't matter how boring and terrible the teacher is in that seat in order to, to learn that topic. Well, I flipped that one. You know, we flipped it as a staff. If a child is outside under the sky, their wiring is brilliant. Mm -hmm. They're immediately drawn to it. They fall in love with the natural world then they want to protect, nourish, nurture, and defender, and their curiosity is broad. Mm -hmm. They have something that uh, Alison Gopnik would call lantern consciousness instead of us adults with spotlight consciousness. Yeah. So I yeah. would say those things off the top of my head. And what, uh, what do you see is wrong with the current paradigm of education that could if enough educators got on board with some of these simple ideas or practices that children's lives could really dramatically improve mental health, emotional well-being, their ability to learn, their ability to feel happy. Like what's, what are some of like the quick shift ideas that if they integrated them into the current school system and model could really make a positive difference? Well, it's it's a big structural system, you know, yeah. the education system, and it has uh, has its roots in Prussia, you know, and it's it's a strange system in so many ways. Yeah, I can tell you that when you empower teachers, and when you give them an opportunity to be artists of possibility, rather than given a specific curriculum that they have to be on a certain page then things change dramatically. And when teachers are teaching from their passion, what they're yeah. really excited about, yeah. that's a huge, huge game changer. So I don't know if uh, if I was being asked to be a part of an eco-village that was designing and coming together, and the question would have been, instead of what's wrong with this system, it would have been, what have you learned and what can we apply? You know, then it would be the natural world is the primary teacher. You empower teachers so that they can really do their job. And to empower teachers is to create a whole different structure. You allow creativity and passion to be nourished and nurtured. You make sure that there's lots of ways of 
using your hand and your body. And so that there's not this seat time restriction thing anymore. There's this how you can be in your body and love it and do all these things related to being in your body. So biology takes place in the forest, you know, and it takes place with the mycelium and it takes place when you're building a road on behalf of your community, you know, and that road builds you, you know, so there are all these ways, service. So I would say there are lots of uh, uh, trim tabs that could occur that would, and, and if the class size was smaller and this unique these unique lines of intelligence, you know, Howard Gardner is a psychologist who created a theory of multiple intelligence. I think there are nine lines of intelligence that he has vetted. You know, you can take that work and you can expand it to more lines of intelligence, but just the knowing that these nine lines of intelligence exist in humans and then finding the profile and then playing to the strengths you know, so a child comes to you and let's say they're dyslexic or dysgraphia or something, you know, they see the world in a completely different way. Instead of being told, being told, oh, you're wrong and we have to fix you, you find out, oh, wow, they can memorize stuff in a second. They're auditory learners. And if I give them these embodiment exercises and I say, you know, before we sit down, why don't you run around the you know, campus for about 10 minutes and then come back <laughs> and we'll see what happens after that. You know, there's, you know, there are these things that you can do that you discover along the way that are just powerful tools for, if you think of every child as having this beautiful, bright spirit mm -hmm. and you think of it as being like a thousand watt, you know, led bulb, you know, yeah. and you think of uh, a potentiometer, a meter that can dim that, you can brighten the light by some of the things I just said almost immediately. Yeah. Good diet, you know, being in a garden, growing the vegetables, eating the carrot at that point. I mean, you could see the light come on, right? About in institutional settings where the, their fear base is there, even when there are really wonderful, well-meaning teachers present or principals. Um, that's a very difficult environment for that light bulb to stay bright yeah very difficult i mean i was i was a terrible student in school i'd go to the bathroom three times a class just because i'd be so bored i'd need to move my body i i just couldn't handle the sitting time and i i know like so many kids and now they get labeled as adhd it's like no they're just bored and they're not passionate about the thing that they're being told to think <laughs> so I guess uh, my next question uh, that I'm just personally curious about, when you look at the world, um, what are some of your biggest concerns as an elder in this chapter of your life for the future of the planet? And what are some of the things that bring you the most hope? Well, um, childhood is, is, is an endangered species right now, you know? And so I would say whether it's, uh, whether it's the screen, whether it's the tiny screen or the big screen, um, and also uh, the lack of ways that love is transacted. In a school community like ours, in a learning community like ours, um, hugging a child, you know, uh, and caring for a child with human touch by putting your hand on their shoulder and letting them know how you feel, you know, that was a, a, an integral part of our community. 
And to see those things being seen or, or, or having teachers just told, no, you cannot do that, you know, that kind of makes me cry inside. Yeah. Because I know the power of human touch and I know how love gets communicated. We sometimes talk about the three A's of love. Uh, attention is, is often the first A of love. So just you and I having eye contact over Zoom is a form of love. Yeah. You know, uh, appreciation, you know, a genuine way of saying, you know, I uh, I love how aware you are of everything that's going on in the, the room, you know, that you have this great consciousness that seems to, so if it's a genuine thing that you're saying to a child, love is being transacted. Um, and then affection, the human touch thing. If you're practicing those three A's, love is being communicated. If they're not present for a child, then the opposite is occurring. Yeah. So what gives me hope is, well, we have a mutual friend by that name, so that's easy to say. Yeah. What gives me hope is hope, you know, I mean, she is an embodiment, you know, people like her who are, are, are they're having doors shut, but more doors open when a door shuts. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what the constraint is, you know, they're always navigating and looking for innovators and new ways of doing things and ways to raise their children and creating initiatives and bringing them into being. And more people are waking up now post pandemic. You know, I don't have a, a, a metric like there's a there's a metric on the computer. I can say, you know, the rate of human birth, you know, and I can go to the population clock and I can see how many people are being born in any given moment. But I believe that actually there are more people going into a higher state of consciousness now than ever before in the history of humanity. Let's say we're between 8 billion people at this point, And let's say 8.25 billion people. I think there's a higher percentage. I have nothing but my intuition of those people waking up through your podcasts, through, you know, the magic, the whole line of magic books and audio books. I think there are more people waking up and looking for a community as well. So they're yeah. doing two things that are really possible, uh, powerful. One, find your tribe. And the other, whatever it is that's waking you up, keep aligning to that. And also know the toxicities that are out there so that you can navigate your day by saying, okay, I've checked this too many times today. I need to go on a diet or I've been involved in this conversation of negativity uh, related to politics too many times this week. I'm going to, I'm going to do a trim tab. I'm going to, you know, interject a question like you did, you know, what gives you hope or what what makes you smile or what brings you joy or tell me about your life or tell me what's moving in you in this moment. Those things really create an immediate um, lightness and and it really they are an, an, they are antidotes to the poisons of distraction. That's also true in terms of food and water, in terms of choices that we make for entertainment <coughs> for all of those things. 
I think it's important uh, to know that there are more people waking up than ever before. And there is more of an awareness of what's poisonous. Definitely agree with those things. Yeah. Um, when you, I know that you're stepping into this, this legacy work of, of really sharing everything that you've learned through your book, through a three-day training that we'll talk about shortly, through a 12-month-long mentorship program that you'll be offering soon. Um, is your hope for your work to spread and the lessons that you've learned about love-based education, loving children into being, uh, as that spreads, let's just like take a step back and imagine a hundred years into the future. Um, if let's just, let's just say, pretend that the, the world woke up and realized that the way education was being done is not serving children. It's not serving the planet. It's not serving our environment. that there's a better way to do it. And let's just pretend that, um, the world adopted what you've learned as a model for education. And let's imagine what the world could look like in a hundred years from now. What is that, that picture of possibility that you hold in your consciousness as you're going about your day-to-day -day life and doing this, this good work that you're doing? Well, it's a, a mixture of indigenous wisdom married to technology in the healthiest possible way <clears throat> and uh, a certain kind of community building yeah that really keeps us connected and in tune with the natural world and you know i i don't have to think of it just as being my work i found out that the same weekend i'm doing we're doing the three-day training another group is doing something so very similar it's ridiculous i looked at their website and I saw what they were offering and it was like, and there were more teachers and there were more groups connected to it. So there's a waking up in the, in the mycelium, yeah. you know, in, in the whole a field, you know, at this point. And I think that yeah. what it would look like is instead of nation states dominating, there would be these beautiful uh, eco villages connected to ways of the cities being coordinated in a way that was really based on on altruism really about caring for others and caring for your neighbors so we know that there are parts of the world like this we know that people go to bali for instance in order to feel that vibration yeah. and to see and experience that and we know that there are countries you know bhutan where there's a happiness ratio <clears throat> and it's and we know that there are ways of transacting these things that have this tremendous compassion built in and yeah. so i think that you know it's it's really possible to imagine our world waking up in a brilliant and beautiful way maybe because of catastrophe maybe we can avoid it i don't know i live my life pretty much as if there's still time and we I think can we make... have to i think we have to live with, as if there's still time because we're still here which means the time hasn't run out so but there is um there is a, there is an urgency it's like this is this is the time this this is the time to align with what's important with where our heart and our values lie with what feels like it matters and makes the biggest difference in our own individual collective and communal lives uh, and I think the the idea of 
people focusing as locally as they possibly can for making these changes, starting with themselves. I mean, it really, the, the individuals are the ones who are gonna make the biggest changes right now. People that say, okay, this is what I'm gonna do about what I see. Well, it's the individual joining with a collective as well, yeah. because it's really in that way that we can um, we can collectively awaken. And then we always need a deep level of collaboration in order to affect significant changes. And so that's, you know, I think that that's, that would happen in the way that um, a wave you know, that we could say that in the music of the 60s, the generation I grew up in, there was a creative wave carrying a message that that really um, it, it blossomed into uh, an entire generation and a, a kind of cooperative competition that led to even deeper portals uh, by way of music in bringing us together. And I think that, you know, big changes like the civil rights movement and like the women's movement and like things that are occurring now all over the world where women and girls are being oppressed, you know, all of those things, um, it, it's impossible to just keep it under wraps. And so there is a, a, a need for an alignment so that we're feeding that field. And you're right, as you do the individual work but also you do the work that connects you with everybody else so that your collective field is present and you're sending that vibration around the world as well. Yeah. Now you're somebody who's supposed to be retired, but it seems like things are actually still ramping up for you in, in this new chapter. So I'm just curious, what, what has you most excited in your own life right now with the, your life well this day you know is 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 exciting for me so that's really important if in the now something is really alive and vibrant for you and uh, one of the things that i uh discovered in a conversation with a mutual friend was that there were two initiatives that that really held my life for 50 years and a school, Upland Hills School for children from four to 14, and Upland Hills Ecological Awareness Center, a place where alternative energy and where um, wisdom teachers from indigenous cultures and people like Ram Das and Dr. Shafali and Gene Houston uh, uh, came and, and gave us. Those, those initiatives were the 50 years for me. And now I know there's two more. And you mentioned them. One of them is this three-day online rewirement training that's happening April 28th, 29th, and 30th. And the one you also mentioned that's coming after that is a year-long mentorship. And so those are two initiatives. And that was really kind of really became clear for me today. Last night, I was at the uh, Asheville Art Museum and there is uh, a beautiful exhibit there called Altruistic Genius, Buckminster Fuller's Plans to Save the Planet. <laughs> and for me, here you're scrolling through the three-day training for the one coming up in April. And here 
right in my backyard in the Blue Ridge Mountains. They're honoring Buckminster Fuller's work. Wow. And from now until uh, August 21st, I'll be taking friends and family members through the museum to see the things that are there. And, and, and you know, it's just so exciting to be alive and to be in that positive space where you just know you're not finished. And so you can see a picture of Ramdas holding my book, you know, The Future of Children. And he was the one who really said to me, you know, Phil, write this book before I die so I can put a blurb on it. <laughs> so <laughs> I did. And here you have the training. And, you know, I just, I know that this is the way to stay forever young. True story. True story. Well, you're doing beautiful work. And um, I think we've been working together on this, this future of children training, the three-day training, and now the mentorship for the last six months. And it's been a beautiful adventure to just get to know your heart and your passions and, and what it is that you're bringing to the world. And it's such a gift, it's such a gift at this wild and turbulent time where love needs to be the thing that is ever present in everybody's life every day as the world gets more messy, uh, that we can bring our patience, compassion, love, and, and our passions to the forefront of anything that's happening in our lives and really realign our lives and lifestyles our, and our purpose with something that brings more love to children, more love to each other. And I see you doing that. And it's such a, it's such a gift to just get to witness and to be able to support uh, in any of the ways that we are at Magic Media. And uh, I, I hope a lot of parents and grandparents and educators and teachers and retired educators uh, join this three-day training because it's going to be really powerful and revolutionary for people that are unaware of this current possibility that exists for how we can raise kids, for how we can educate and teach and hold the container for children to grow their own curiosities, imaginations, and self-directed learning. Uh, I see it with my son and it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, Soren's a preschool dropout. At uh, the age of three, he decided that preschool wasn't for him and because he couldn't focus on his projects at school. There was too many distractions for Soren to be able to focus on his projects. And so he said, I can't, I don't want to go. I want to be home with you guys. You're my people and I want to be there with you. And so we've just accommodated that. Now he, he comes to the office with me on work days. He comes to the studio with Celeste who does art in the back. We give him projects. He's really interested in science. So we're finding science mentors for him. He's really curious about robotics. So we're finding a teenager to mentor him around building robots like it's just it's such a different way of going about it um i love it because i'm relearning my i'm re-experiencing my childhood by going and learning with him <clears throat> we're taking martial arts together i mean by the time he's 16 we'll probably both be black belts together which is a super cool long-term journey for us and i just hope that more parents can pop their patterns and their reality bubbles for just a moment to take account of like, is what they're doing, is it working well enough? Are they satisfied? Are they happy? Are they fulfilled and content? Or are they open to another possibility that does exist 
And I think you're the perfect person to show them the way. Well, thanks for saying that. I, I think that rewiring is is really a, a, is another way of saying we're we're looking at the world and experiencing in the world not just through our five senses, but through another dimension, you know, as well. And that dimension is really about love, which is uh, so important for people to understand that when you rewire, it's a, it becomes a practice. Yeah. And when you do it as a practice, then it feeds you in so many ways that it keeps you forever young. That is the plan. That's what we're here for. Um, do you have, uh, before we wrap up here, I mean, everybody check out the show notes, check out the three day rewirement training, um, check out the mentorship link. If you're interested in launching a love-based initiative in the world, whether it's a school, it's a program, it could be what, like what we're doing at magic kids, releasing amazing children's stories and audio stories. If there's something that you want to do in the name of bringing more love to more kids, check out the mentorship training where you get to work with Phil directly for 12 months. Uh, but it all really starts uh, with this, with this uh, three-day rewirement training with Phil and a bunch of other special guests. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be really high quality live stream production. Don't worry. You're not going to be bored on Zoom every day. This is going to be really magical with music and storytelling and incredible guests that are going to come share their wisdom and students from the school coming to share their stories of what it's like to be there. Uh, you will definitely not regret signing up for this experience. Um, and if you can't make the live one, sign up anyways, and you'll have access to all the recordings and the community of educators, parents, grandparents, etc., who are going to be a part of this community that we're launching for the future of children. Um, so before we part ways, do you have any final messages, words, encouragement, or invitations to the people listening and watching this right now? Well, I was so excited about the, the choices that were made at the Asheville Art Museum because they, they use this word altruistic. Uh, and so I looked it up just to see what it meant. You know, what does altruistic mean? And genius. And we we have been playing with that in our conversation today. When Bucky said all children are born geniuses and frustrated by their circumstances, unfavorable circumstances, you going to school, you know. Yeah. And so now if we really put that word genius and we realize what he was saying is that not everybody has an IQ over a certain number, but what he was saying is to tune in to your child or to your grandchildren or to any children you know, or tune in to that genius that's inside of yourself. That's really important. Altruism is really this beautiful compassion and concern for others. And because others for me doesn't mean just people, it means, you know, the Lakota people would say, it means the winged ones. It means the green nation. Oh, I love that. Anything that turns green is a nation. You know, it means the four-leggeds, you know. It means all the creepy crawlies, you know, all of these words that indigenous people, you know, have used for the vibrant living world, you know. And having an altruistic genius means you, those two things are married. Yeah. You know, you care about 
the standing ones, which are the trees. You care about the, these birds or these mammals or you know the elephants. You know you have a specific connection and you you care. I think altruism um, is a really great word, and so uh, I I think the altruistic genius in each of us that's important. If we if we're going to get to the other side. It'll only be because we care about each other. Beautiful. What a wonderful way to wrap up. So take that, everybody. Apply it in your life today. Apply it to yourself and sign up for the three-day training. Uh, the notes, will, the, the link will be in the show notes wherever you're watching or listening to this. Uh, Phil, thank you so much for your friendship. Thank you so much for the work you're doing and bringing to the world and have done for... Uh, a lifetime. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bradley. And thank you for listening, whoever's tuned into this. Take care, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Making Magic Podcast with your host, Bradley T. Morris from Magic Media. If you're inspired to leverage your life's work by crafting your transformational, educational, and inspirational media, thriving online community, profitable membership, or to turn your message into a movement, then head on over to magicmedia.com, that's M-A-J-I-K, media.com, and explore what our Creators Club or partnership opportunities have to offer you and your beautiful business. 